good to see you all this morning. I know God has in store a special blessing for us through his word because his word always accomplishes what he sends it for. He promises us that. So I'm so glad that you're here this Sabbath. I'm so glad that we can worship together this Sabbath. If you missed the last couple of weeks, actually it's been about a month or so now, we've been going on a journey talking about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit fills us with love for Jesus, how it enhances our relationship with Jesus. Two weeks ago, we talked about praying for the Holy Spirit specifically so that we can reach out to our neighbors and friends and family, so that we have the love of Christ in order to give to others. Last week, we talked about the new covenant and how Christ has done everything for us. If you missed communion last Sabbath, you missed a special time where we talked about how it's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power. Um, Powerful time together, and I pray that God's going to impact us this morning. If you don't mind, we'll pray once more as we begin the sermon. Father, thank you. Thank you for your amazing grace, which sets us free on this day when we celebrate freedom in America. We want to celebrate the true freedom, the freedom that comes from you and you alone. Oh God, we open our hearts to you now and we ask that you would speak to us. Speak to us in spite of our weakness, in spite of my weakness. Lord, touch our hearts with power from heaven. We want to see Jesus this morning. Please move in our hearts in a special way for your honor and your glory alone. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Yesterday, flew back from San Antonio, Texas, landed in San Jose at about noon. It was some time towards getting in the car that I realized that it was the 3rd of July. Today is a day of freedom, but if you've ever driven on Friday before 4th of July, a free country doesn't mean open roads. (laughs) It doesn't mean freedoms when you're driving down the highway necessarily. And I realized that I was in the Bay Area on Friday, the 3rd of July. I thought, I better get out of town as fast as possible. So when I finally got to my car, I hopped in the car and I got on 101 South and I looked down the freeway. Praise the Lord, it was wide open, free sailing. So I was just driving south, had gotten all the way through San Jose. I think I was getting towards Morgan Hill and I had the GPS on my phone on, I was following Google Maps, and all of a sudden it started to tell me, you need to get off the 101. Now, I live one exit from the 101, so I'm pretty sure that the fastest way to get to Templeton is on the 101. But here it was telling me, take a side road. I looked a little bit more carefully, and it told me that supposedly there was going to be traffic up ahead, that it was going to be jammed up. Now, Some of my family and friends, when they look at a GPS and it tells them that, they're kind of hesitant to follow the GPS. And as I was looking at this free freeway, I thought, you know, it's going to be fine. There's there's no need to worry. Even as I came up to the very exit, and it was supposed to be the traffic was supposed to be slowing down about that point, I looked ahead, and it was as clear as I've seen the 101. I thought, there is no reason to get off the freeway at this point. I think I should just keep driving. But then I said, you know what? Maybe it knows something that's coming up ahead. Maybe, okay, I'll just get off the freeway. I'll follow it. I'm just, I may regret it, but I'm going to follow the GPS. So I got off the freeway, and it took 
quite a ways off the freeway, and then it was going parallel to the freeway, but eventually I was able to catch a glimpse of the 101. I was about a mile away from it or so, but I could see it off in the distance. There was the 101, and I just saw semi-trucks and cars basically parked on the 101. And as we drove on for miles, and there was no exit for them to come and to enter the road that we were on, and we were just driving at the normal pace, no traffic, no problems, I realized that it's smart to follow someone that knows the future, that someone that knows what's ahead of me on the road. Second Corinthians chapter 3, the scripture reading in this morning, in verse 17, it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom, liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. It brings us freedom to follow God. It brings us freedom to have the Holy Spirit in our lives. Freedom because He knows the future. He knows what's coming in your life. He knows how to direct your steps in a way that I could have no idea how to give counsel like that. You could have no idea how to plan. But God knows how to bring true freedom. You know, in our country, we're facing very interesting times. So many people are talking about what is going on. What's, what's happening? As we see, uh, Lauren was mentioning in the, the, the song service about things that are happening with the, the Pope coming to, to talk to our Congress. We had just a couple weeks ago where the Supreme Court made the decision about marriage and changing the structure of marriage for our country as a whole. And some of these things, they seem like, well, hey, it's freedom. It's offering more freedom to our country. This is a thing of liberty. And there's rejoicing around the country as we look at these decisions that are being made as as people are saying, hey, this is what we've needed to do for a long time. Finally, the bonds are being broken and freedom is coming. But friends, I can tell you, whenever we neglect to follow God, freedom is always taken away. Jesus himself said, whoever commits a sin becomes a slave to that sin. Whenever I choose to, hey, I'm going to neglect whatever God told me to do in my life. I've watched again and again as it has enchained me. It has enslaved me. But you know, I'm not about to say that politics has the answers, that we need to rise up and we need to change our country. We need to, to get a, a revolution going. You know, there's actually a group I was just reading about of conservative pastors, NPR News was talking about just yesterday, are vowing to mobilize in opposition to the Supreme Court's legalization of same-sex marriage. Although the decision applies to government actions, not religious ceremonies, some of these pastors say they reject such a separation of church and state functions. You know, there's a problem. When we begin to try to enact laws in order to force others to follow God, it always leads to tyranny. We've seen it again and again throughout Christian history as those nations which have decided that they're going to force worship in a certain way, they're going to force people into a certain category of living their lives, have again and again found tyranny to rule. But there is an answer to what ails America. While it's not to force, it comes to our hearts. What takes place in our hearts can bring us true freedom. It can bring us liberty. 
That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 3, in verse 17. Now where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That's why we have had such freedom in America. It's because we were founded on Christian ideals. Because we've lived in a country where people have been following God with their hearts for so long, we've experienced the freedom that we have here. But that is quickly fading away. But to enact new laws, to change things by laws of the land, isn't going to change anybody's heart. It's only going to force people, and it's only going to lead to enslavement. Let's see what this is exactly talking about in 2 Corinthians 3.17. When it says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. How does this liberty come about? What has been the context here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3? Go back with me to verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 3. Verse 4, he begins this whole section. Actually, let's even go back to verse 1. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Paul is writing to the Corinthians saying, do we need to be commended? Do we need to somehow build up our credentials to say that we're somebody special? You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ. Since you're a letter from Christ, you yourself are a letter from Jesus. Did you know that? You are a letter from Jesus. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is of the heart. It says, you are an epistle that's written. You, we don't need tablets of stone that are written with the, the laws that bring freedom in Christ. What we need is those laws written on the heart. What we need is, is for our hearts to be a living epistle from Christ where the community looks at you. The community looks at me. My friends look at me and they say, wow, following Jesus brings liberty. Look at how their life is blessed. Look at how they love. Look at how they're reaching people around them. That is true freedom, and I want what they have. Verse 4, and we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves. It's impossible for us to love on our own. We're not capable of loving on our own. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. We talked about that last week, how the new covenant of the blood was to say Christ is everything, not to be the old covenant experience where they said, we can obey his laws, we will follow God, we will do all that God has said, and they failed. Not that anything is sufficient from in us, not that anything is coming from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Here we have a contrast. When God gave the law, He meant for it to be of benefit to His people. He meant for it to be written on their hearts, but they left it on the outside. They left it as this letter. They left it written on tablets of stone and neglected to bring it into their own lives. And because of that, it became death to them. It meant nothing but condemnation to them because the law to them was no longer applicable. They no longer lived it out in their lives. They only tried to follow it in their own strength. And if you've ever tried that, it doesn't work out so well. 
to try to do it in your own strength, you always end up failing. But God is our sufficiency. He is our strength. The new covenant tells us that his blood, his righteousness can actually become a part of us. We can actually drink that cup and recognize that his power is flowing into us and that he is filling us with strength to will and to do of his good pleasure. Verse seven, but if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the spirit not be more glorious? Since this that took place on Mount Sinai with Moses, all the things that took place, that was glorious. But what the Holy Spirit is going to do in your lives is so much more glorious than that. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness, righteous living, exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels it. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because that veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord... The veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. There is true power found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. True power to set you free. Jesus said, whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin in John 8. But he also goes on to say, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And if the Son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. Knowing Jesus sets us free. Knowing Jesus gives us true liberty. Knowing Jesus is everything to you and me. Loving Jesus with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our mind gives us the freedom that this country is looking for in a time where to get on an airplane, it's clear that our freedoms are being taken away. Have you ever gone through security, through the TSA lines? It's... you feel like you're not in a free country anymore. You have to take almost everything off and you have to put it all on a belt to go through a scanner and you have to subject yourself to whatever pats they want to do because we're not really having that much freedom because the problem is a heart problem. God gives us 10 simple laws and he's able to boil them down to two saying love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. We live in a land where laws are increasing and yet hearts are growing more and more cold because the love of Jesus is lacking. Now, all of this passage can seem a bit confusing. Did it seem confusing to you at all? Here it's talking about this glory and Moses with a veil on his face. What is all this talking about? Let's go back to Exodus. Back in Exodus, we find the beginning of this story. We find out what exactly Paul is referring to here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll be back in 2 Corinthians in a minute, but go to Exodus in chapter 22. Sorry, Exodus chapter 24. 
we find, first of all, in verses 1 through 8, that Moses is reaffirming the old covenant that they said we are going to obey. And so he takes and he sprinkles blood on them, the blood of bulls and goats, which is not as powerful as the blood of Christ. And then in verse 9, Moses goes up to the mountain of God and he goes up with the elders and they see this amazing picture of God. They see this throne with a sapphire pavement beneath it. But Moses goes up further into the mountain. Moses goes up to where the very presence and glory of God is. Look at verse 13. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up to the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and her are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. Then Moses went up into the mountain and a cloud covered the mountain. Now, have you ever thought this was unfair? Have you ever thought, why did Moses get this privilege? Why does Moses get up to, to go up to the glory of God? And here the children of Israel have to stay down below of course they end up worshiping a golden calf. Of course they would do that when they couldn't be there in the presence of God. Well, hold your finger here and let's go over to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy, the word literally means second reading of the law. So in Deuteronomy, Moses is giving his last sermons to Israel and he's reminding them the things which they read, which had happened earlier in their history. Deuteronomy chapter 5 is basically a repeat of Exodus chapter 20 where you have the Ten Commandments. And here Moses is reminding them of how they received the Ten Commandments straight from the mouth of God in Exodus chapter 20. Starting in verse 1 of Deuteronomy 5, And Moses called all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that you may learn them and be careful to observe them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. So he's reminding them back at Mount Sinai how God made this covenant with them. The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, those who are here today, all of us who are alive. The Lord talked with you face to face on the mountain from the midst of the fire. I stood between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord, for you were afraid because of the fire and you did not go up to the mountain. Why is it that they didn't go up to the mountain? They were afraid of God. They saw the fire. They saw this great glory of God and they said, that's scary. In fact, if you look down in verse 23, right after God speaks and he gives all these amazing things on Mount Sinai, verse 23, it says, so it was when you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire that you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his face, his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day that God speaks with man, yet he still lives. So they saw that God could speak with them and that they could go on living. They saw that to have this conversation with this God who was veiling himself with consuming fire, that it was okay that they could live through that. But then verse 25, Now therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, then we shall die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and lived? Then verse 27 
Such a sad verse. A verse that I I wish that they had never said this. I think the history of Israel could have been different if it wasn't for what they say in verse 27. You, they're talking to Moses, you go near and hear all that the Lord our God may say and tell us all that the Lord our God says to you and we will hear and do it. Here Israel decides. They say, you go up. You talk to God, and then you come back and you tell us what he says because we're afraid of him. And the Bible tells us that perfect love casts out fear. But they didn't love God. They didn't want to know God. They didn't want a personal relationship with God. They were terrified of God, and fear never brings liberty. Free, fear never helps us to obey. It didn't help the Israelites. They were terrified of God. They heard the Ten Commandments, but it didn't fix their problems. So what happened with Moses? Let's go back to Exodus chapter 25 when Moses goes up on the mountain. This is one of the numerous times that he goes up on the mountain. Exodus 24 and verse 13, we were just reading it. It said, so Moses arose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up to the mountain of God and he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and her are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. So what happens when Moses and Joshua, they climb Mount Sinai? Now at GC session on Thursday night, Elder Wilson showed a video of Mount Sinai. It's this huge, desolate mountain. With, it's, it's not easy to climb. My professor at seminary, Dick Davidson, talked about climbing Mount Sinai, and he loves to climb 14,000-foot peaks. But he said Mount Sinai is an arduous climb. And yet you find Moses again and again going up the mountain to find God, to talk to God. So here, Moses is up on the mountain, but what does it say? How long was he there partway up the mountain? How long? He's there for six days. And it's not until the seventh day, it tells us, that he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. In Patriarchs and Prophets, it gives us a little picture of what Moses was doing in this time. I mean, here he is for six days, sitting there on the mountain. What takes place during that six days as he's waiting to go up to God? God had told him to be there on the mountain, but how long do you wait? Am I that available to God? Would I be willing to sit for six days on a mountain just waiting for God to show up? Patriarchs and Prophets, page 313, it says, Moses and his minister, Joshua, were now summoned to meet with God. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain as a token of God's special presence, yet there was no revelation of himself or communication of his will. During this time, Moses remained in waiting for a summons to the presence of the chamber of the Most High. This period of waiting was to him a time of preparation, of close self-examination. You can only imagine as you look up into this cloud, you look up into this consuming fire and you think about going up in there, you're going to be wondering, is my heart ready for this? 
Am I ready to enter the presence of God? Here he is, a holy God, that that sin is combustible material to God. And I'm going to go up into his presence. I better search my heart. I better make sure that I've been forgiven of all my sins because I want to know God and I want nothing between me and God. But even though it took time, even though it was a time of heart searching, a time that might have been a little scary, Moses persisted. Patriarchs and Prophets continues, Even this favored servant of God could not at once approach into his presence and endure the exhibitions of his glory. Six days must be employed in devoting himself to God by searching of heart, meditation, and prayer before he could be prepared for direct communication with his maker. See, it was this heart preparation. It was preparing to meet his God that led Moses into such a close friendship with God. That in Exodus chapter 33 and 34, we find Moses saying, God, show me your glory. Exodus 33, 11 says that God would talk to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friends. They had this close friendship because there was nothing between. Because Moses was letting God take a sinful human being with all of his mistakes. Moses made tons of mistakes. Moses was a murderer, and yet God had enough grace for Moses, and God has enough grace for you and enough grace for me. God wants to bring us into that same close communion. He wants us to be drawn closer to him. But you find a completely different situation takes place for the Israelites who are down below. If you go to chapter 34, you find the story of the golden calf. Sorry, verse, chapter 32 and verse 1. Down below on the mountain, uh, on the plain, something else is going on for the Israelites. In verse 1 of chapter 32, it says, Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain. So they see the delay. They see that Moses is there first six days, and then on the seventh day he goes up into the mountain, and then they say, where is Moses gone? They experience a delay then of 40 days and 40 nights as Moses is there with God on the mountain. The people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, come, make us gods that shall go before us for for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. They said, We don't know what God is doing. We don't know what's going on. And we don't know what happened to Moses. It's taking too long, God. I'm tired of waiting on you. And so we're going to go ahead and we're going to make our own God. We're going to make something that we can feel, something that makes sense to us. And we're going to follow that instead of the true God. So quickly, they turned away from the living God who had displayed his glory, who had displayed his power. And why was it? Because they wanted to stand back. They didn't want to be close to God. They asked Moses saying, hey, we don't want to be in the presence of God. We'd rather for you to go there because that's scary. We don't want our hearts to be cleansed so fully. We don't want for that experience that you're having, Moses. We would rather that you go to God and that we stand afar back and you come and you tell us what God said because we're scared. But Moses knew That when you come face to face with the glory of God, that you come face to face with his love. Well, what, what took place when he saw the back of God as God passed by? 
God revealed to him his glory. And what was his glory? He said, I'm the Lord God, gracious and compassionate, forgiving sins, but by no means sparing those who reject me. God revealed his character. He revealed his love. And that was his glory. But the Israelites missed out on that. They missed on what God wanted to give them. And it's all too easy for us today to miss the same. In Psalms chapter 106, the psalmist records exactly the mistake that the Israelites made in verses 19 and 20. It says, They made a calf in Oreb and worshipped the molded image. Thus they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. God had made them in the very image of God and he wanted them never to make an image that would somehow try to represent him. He wanted him, them to worship him and his power to realize that God alone is our sufficiency, as Paul says. But instead, they tried to make something themselves that could fix the problem. They tried to obey in their own strength. They tried to keep the law. They tried to follow God's way in their own strength, and they ended up failing. When I was a kid, my mom had a rule. No candy in between meals. Well, it was Christmas time when I found out about some candy that was stashed in the house, and I decided I knew what I would do. If you were in the kitchen, mom might find you, but not if you were in your bedroom. So I went and I got all this candy and I took it and I hid it underneath my bed. And I was waiting for the opportune time. I found at one point in the day that my mom was in the washing room and I thought, this is my chance. So I ran back to my room and I locked the door and I went and I grabbed under my bed and there was the candy and I began eating the the candy. I don't know how moms do this, but before long, I heard a knock at my door. Zach? How did she come so fast? So quickly I took the candy out. I stuffed it back into the bed. I ran to the door. Yes, mom, come on in. Zach? Yes, mom? Have you been eating candy? How do you do that, mom? I don't understand how you know that I'm eating candy. Now, I was trying to avoid the consequences of breaking the laws that my mom had. In fact, I, was try- I tried really hard to, break- to get away from the consequences At one point, my mom had a paddle that she hid on the top of the fridge, and I knew where it was hidden, so one day I went into the kitchen, and I climbed up on the counter, and then I went to the top of the fridge, and I took the paddle, and I thought, now I'm safe. My mom's not going to be able to inflict punishment anymore. Do you think that worked? You see, if we don't love God, we're just going to be trying to escape the penalties. We're just going to be trying to avoid getting in trouble. But that's no way to keep the law. It didn't work for Israel. They end up totally failing just 40 days after they'd heard God tell them that you're not to make any molded images. And I find it's the same way in my life. I hear the law. I agree with the law. I think the law is great. Just like Paul says in Romans 7, I agree with the law that it's holy and just. And yet, I find myself a sinner. But Then he goes on to say this in Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who walk not according to the flesh, not in their own strength, not thinking I can keep the law, I can do this, but those who walk according to the Spirit. 
It's the Spirit of God that brings us liberty. It's the Spirit of God that sets us free. It's only through a loving relationship with Jesus, through saying, I want what God has, that we can come to the place of true obedience. Back to 2 Corinthians 3, we pick up what Paul is saying, and he gives us the key at the end of 2 Corinthians 3. After verse 17, where he says, Now the Lord is a spirit, where the spirit of the Lord, there is liberty. I want that liberty. How do I get it? Verse 18. But we all, with unveiled faces, unlike those who, when Moses came down from the mountain, his face was so shining with the glory of God that the Israelites said, Hey, put a veil over that. Stop. You're scaring us, Moses. Even just the reflection of having been in the presence of God, that's scary to us. And so Moses would speak to them with his veil over their, his face. Because they, they hadn't been in the presence of God. They had refused to go. And they hadn't experienced God's glory. But Paul says this, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. We're being changed. Our lives are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. But we all, with unveiled faces, as we behold Jesus, as we behold his glory, we behold his love. You know, in John 1, it tells us that the glory of God appeared in Jesus, that that Jesus appeared. He was the light of the world. And we saw the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Jesus reveals to us the glory of God like we have never been able to see in all of Christian history. Jesus reveals the love of God, the compassion of God. And he reveals the faithfulness of God. He reveals the life that we want to live. In the sixth volume of the Bible commentaries, the Ellen White comments in page 1097 it says look to christ behold the attractive loveliness of his character and by beholding you will become changed into his likeness the mist that intervenes between christ and the soul will be rolled back as we by faith look past the hellish shadow of satan and see god's glory in his law and the righteousness of christ The glory of the ministry of righteousness rather than the ministry of condemnation. The ministry of the spirit rather than the ministry of the letter which condemned. If we leave everything at the letter, if we leave it simply at the knowledge level and we don't enter into a heart relationship where the spirit of God is transforming our hearts, then we're prone to live a miserable Christian existence. But if we let that new covenant experience happen, which in Jeremiah 31 and in Hebrews chapter 10 and Hebrews chapter 8, God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with you. I'm going to take and I'm going to write my law on your hearts. When the law is written on our hearts, then we're going to love to do God's will. Then we're going to be able to say, just like Jesus did in Psalm 40 verse 8, I delight to do your will Oh my God, for your law is written in my heart. I want that experience more than anything else. I want to follow God with all of my heart, with all of my soul. I want to love him so much that I know that obeying him is going to pay off. I want to trust him like thankfully I trusted my GPS on the way home. 
I want to know that he knows what's coming for the future and that he is trustworthy. Desire of Ages, page 668. One of my favorite quotations. It says this, All true obedience comes from the heart. Any other obedience is absolutely meaningless. It's just the letter. It just condemns us. It just ends up in death. All true obedience comes from the heart. It was heart work with Christ. What did we learn about Christ last week? He was there. He was watching and praying. He begged the disciples to watch and pray so that they didn't enter into temptation. It was heart work even with Christ. Christ who prayed, not my will, but your will be done. It was heart work with Christ. And if we consent, he will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims. So blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will that when obeying him, we will be but carrying out our own impulses. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing to know that I can come into such a close relationship with Jesus that when I'm following what Jesus tells me to do, it's only going to be my own impulses saying, I just want to do this because I love Jesus. You know, that's the way it is with marriage. I remember one of my college friends, we were on a football team together, and he's like, you're getting married? What are you thinking? Don't you know you're going to be in, uh, you're going to have to take out the trash, you're going to have to do all these things? Like, Man, that's like prison to be married. No way. If you really love your wife, it's awesome to be married. It's freeing to be married. I don't mind taking out the trash. I'd love to do it for her because I love her. It's the same way with Jesus. It's the same way with God. The more that I love him, the more that I'll trust him. The more that I'll say what he has for me here is the very best. And I want that for my life. And little by little, the own impulses of my heart are going to become to do what he wants me to do. It's going to be to walk in his ways because that's what I want to do anyway. Nothing else matters to me anymore. The will refined and sanctified will find its highest delight in doing his service. I delight to do your will for your law is written in my heart. When we know God as it is our privilege to know him, our life will be a life of continual obedience through an appreciation of the character of Christ, through communion with God, sin will become hateful to us. As Christ lived the law in humanity, so we may do if we will take hold of the strong for strength. Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior. And when I enter into that loving relationship with Him and I plead for His Holy Spirit to come into my life and to write His law on my heart, then my impulses change, my desires change, and soon I just want to do what Jesus wants me to do. Soon my impulses change, and I want more of this experience. But I realize I have to be careful I have to be careful of making the mistake that the Israelites did of trying to put God off and saying, okay, let the pastor come up and tell me what to do. Let him tell me about what Jesus has said. Or, or let, me, let me listen to Christian music and let me hear it in that way, but not taking the time to wait in the presence of God. Like Moses for six days searching his heart saying, God, I want nothing between my heart and you. I want to love you with all my heart, with all of my mind, and with all my strength. 
That is the only way that the law can ever be written on our hearts, that the Spirit of God can truly fill us, is when we take the time to sit at the feet of Jesus and to develop that relationship of love. So my appeal is just simple this Sabbath, and that is, let's increase our time at the feet of Jesus. Sometimes we may think, I've got no more time. I can't add to what I'm doing. But I can promise you, I've experienced this again and again, and I want to commit to it today, that when I add more time, I'm only blessed and refreshed. I'm only filled with more love for God. The more time that you take reading the Gospels, looking at the amazing character of Jesus, throughout his word, in fact, Jesus is revealed. Anywhere you look, you see Jesus. The more time I spend in his word, the more time I spend in prayer, the more I love Jesus. So I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you've been spending five minutes a day. I challenge you. Take 10 minutes a day then. Maybe you've been spending 15. Make it a half an hour. Maybe a half an hour, then take an hour. Maybe an hour, then make it two hours. Challenge you because there's nothing like knowing Jesus for yourself. If you want to make a commitment to that today, I invite you just to bow your heads with me and to ask Jesus to keep you strong for such a commitment. Lord God, we come to you wanting the new covenant experience, wanting your law to be written in our hearts. Please, pour out your Holy Spirit on us. And Lord, we want to take the time, like Moses did. We want to approach your presence. We want to do whatever it takes to seek you with all of our hearts so that you really can write your law in our hearts. Lord, as we make commitments today to increase our time at your feet, to increase that time in growing in a loving relationship with you, please seal these commitments. I pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.